On this episode, spelunking, guiding, bonfire in the snow, and the single oldest thing found in Oregon. Welcome to the Almost There Adventure Podcast. Your hosts, Severia Tilden, Jeff Hester, and Jason Fitzpatrick. So we are back in Bend, recording live, which has been very exciting for us. And our guest today is Dave Nissen from Wanderlust Tours. Good morning. Good morning. And we are very excited to have you as a guest on our podcast today. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what Wanderlust is. And yeah, give us a little bit of in- intro yourself. And then we'll dig into all the questions. Okay. Yep. Sounds good. Um, uh, yeah, so I'm Dave Nissen, and I founded and own Wanderlust Tours. Um, we started the company in 1993, my wife and I, and um, and you know it was born out of my background, which was um, touring for a large tour company. Uh, I was the guy in front of the bus telling people what they were looking at as we went around the western part of North America, and um, and while that um, job, that career was wholly satisfying. Um, there were a couple of things that didn't fully scratch my itch, so to say. Um, and that was, I mean, it was primarily an older demographic who was on that uh, type of tour, riding in a bus, looking at the scenery f- through the window of the bus. And it, granted, the age of the clientele was, um, you know, average was 72. And so to, for, for those folks back in the 80s and 90s to get out of the bus and actually walk a quarter of a mile that was a big deal um and so that's what didn't scratch my itch i wanted people to um, better understand um the outstanding natural features through which they were traveling um not just through the window of a bus but i wanted people to be able to stick their arm in a frigid lake where the waters came off of the glaciers of the surrounding mountains and no one ever really got that experience so wanderlust was born out of that and uh, and so what we do are what I call nature-based tours, um, and and I mean we exist to inspire people with the natural and cultural history of of Oregon. So yeah. And what brought you to Bend? Yeah. Were so you already here before Wanderlust, or did you come here I and was, then started? Uh, I was here before Wanderlust, but it was um, with a specific intent of my eyes were opened and attuned to. Um, a natural world that would accommodate what had been born in my head. Um, so uh, having that fortunate opportunity to travel around North America, um, <clears throat> I was keeping my eyes open on various communities and Bend was the end choice. So yeah, came here a couple of years before I founded the company. And so currently how many, what kind of programs do you run? What are, how many guides do you have? Let's talk a little bit about the nuts what, and bolts yeah, of Wanderlust. Yeah, so gosh, there's there's really multiple things that we do. I, I don't even know that I could say that we do X number of trips because there's just too many. But um, to say that our trips focus on um, canoeing and kayaking, and that's both daytime and nighttime, um, <clears throat> caving, which is daytime and nighttime. In a cave, however, it doesn't really matter. It's cool no matter what, but you come out of a cave at night and the stars are just fantastic. Um, uh, we do um, a lot of snowshoeing in the wintertime, uh, everything based around snowshoeing, daytime, nighttime. Um, 
And then, you know, various hikes, we do GPS eco challenge trips, which is a course that we designed to um, get people out in the natural world seeking clues and answering puzzles and it's competitive type of thing, which is super fun. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's multiple things that we do. Um, when you talk about caves, really quick, what kind of caves for people who aren't familiar with Eastern Oregon? Yeah, nice. Nicely done. So uh, Bend is located in Deschutes County, and Deschutes County has, well, at this moment, um, 693 known caves just in this one county. Um, Mother Nature has created caves in two different ways. Um, one is by erosion, either through water and carbonic acid, which fizzles away at the earth, so it's that erosive power. Um, most of those types of caves are created in sedimentary rock, uh, so softer rock. Um, uh, the second type of cave is what's found here in Deschutes County, and those are caves that are created by volcanic lava flows. Um, um, uh, every, I mean, when you come to Oregon, if you're a visitor to Oregon or if you live in this state, you live in the second most volcanic state in our nation. Um, when, when, if you were to fly from wherever and land in, in Bend, uh, every bit of the earth that you see, whether it's the powdery, dusty earth, or it's a stone, or it's a boulder, or it's a hill, or a mountain, it's all volcanic in origin, which means that every bit of rock that you see here is igneous rock. So when you've got rock spewing out of a volcano in the form of a molten lava flow, it's igneous rock. And the cooling process is what ultimately creates the type of caves that we have here. Um, yeah, they're just stunning bodies that Mother Nature has uh, eloquently uh, designed. So, yeah, it's good. What kind of, like, say, like, wildlife or plant life? Like, what, what, what kind of things do you see when you visit the caves here? Well, when you go to the caves, you know, so when you leave Bend, um, Bend is on the very western edge of the Great Basin Desert. So when you go east of Bend, you enter into the United States' largest desert ecosystem, the Great Basin. And, um, and the, correspondingly with that, the farther east you go, the drier the ecosystem becomes, which dictates the plants and the animals that, that you find out there. So um, where the caves are uh, that we visit, um, it's a ponderosa pine studded high desert ecosystem where, um, yeah, beautiful mature pines, secondary growth pines are evident. And, um, and then, you know, in terms of what else is growing out there, it's, it's plants that are adapted to um, high elevation. So it's about 4,200 feet out there. So they have to be plants that can withstand cold temperatures and dryness as well. And um, uh, so it's sage, you know, big sage, which is, oh my gosh, just when here in the fall, as a little bit of precipitation begins to fall and you happen to go out to that high desert ecosystem and the rain may have hit the sage, oh my goodness, the olfactory sensation is absolutely amazing. That and rabbit brush and bitter brush and in springtime the forbs are stunning, you know, pinks and yellows just blanketing and white and purple that just blanket the, the desert floor out there are amazing. Um, in terms of fauna, I mean megafauna like uh, elk and deer, um, cougar um, uh, are out in that part of the neck of the woods where the caves are. Um, you know, you, there's not too many animals that live in the caves um, and that's a factor of of uh, water and food, right? And um, so uh, neither of which are in abundance or necessarily hardly at all in those caves. But um, I have gone into caves where, you know, you're crawling through and our, on our trips, you know, our trips are geared for entire families. So when I say crawling, this is stuff that I would do on my own type of deal. But 
in one particular cave that had just been discovered. Um, I was nearing the very end of the cave, so his belly crawler was about 10 inches of space, and, and headlamp was kind of pointing in front of me, but as I was crawling through a sandy bottom cave, I started to feel prickles, you know, start to prickle into my belly and chest everywhere. And I couldn't figure, figure out what it would be, and as I got back out of the cave and I was able to look down my torso, I was covered in porcupine quills. So porkies uh, find um, habitat inside of a cave for shelter, you know, and, uh, and yeah, I mean, they're living in there permanently because their, their poops are there and they exit to go find food and then they come back in for shelter, of course. So, I mean, there are some cool things. Um, we just discovered um, like two weeks ago um, uh, a critter um, that had never been seen in our caves before, um, not in our Central Oregon caves. They had been found in caves on Vancouver Island, um, uh, but, but no, it's, it's an insect. And uh, just a stunning little creature that's translucent. You can see its its organs and veins inside of its body by looking through it. It doesn't need pigmentation, right? It lives in a cave, so it's translucent body. And there are, um, in addition, there are harvest men. If you know what a daddy long legs is, we we would call it a spider, but it's really a harvest man. And uh, so there are harvest man uh, spiders inside of our caves, and the one. Uh, there's one cave here that has an endemic species of spiders no, found nowhere else on earth, has no eyes, has ten legs. So these cool adaptations. Um, anyway, I, that is maybe a little bit of... No, that's great. That's, that is, yeah. that's fantastic. So, so this is one of the things I think I love about Wanderlust Tours. So Wanderlust ran the hike... Well, they ran the hiking program for our events last year at the Adventure Women Escapes. And the women came back with so much knowledge. It wasn't just a hike. It was about the lichen and the trees. And so um, I think that's something that I'm so impressed with is that there's obviously a love for where you're taking people out. And so there's an education that happens as well. Um, we actually added caving last minute last year to our event because it snowed. And so the hike that they were going to go on was too, was too cold. And so these women were like, yeah, sure, we'll go caving. And they came back and were literally like minds blown. Nice. They were like levitating. They were like, oh my God, that was the coolest thing I've ever done in my life. So I'm so um, happy to hear that. Yeah, so it was such I mean, a cool it experience. It's a very a part of our mission that, that you're talking about. And, you know, if we can vibrantly share the natural and cultural history of this area, what, what I believe and what's stated in our mission is that if we can build understanding of ecosystems, um, we can therefore build appreciation, and out of that appreciation will come protection. Um, and ultimately, that's why we exist. Um, I'll be frank, you know, our guests sign up for a kayak trip or a starlight canoe trip or whatever because they want to go out and have fun. And to be sure, it is. I mean, Mother Nature sets the stage. It's absolutely beautiful. But, um, uh, you know, once you're out there, um, when people garner a little bit of information about where they're visiting, um, I think it enriches their experience. And they go home saying, holy buckets, I never knew about the hydrologic cycle, it, not only of Bend, but how do I translate to where I live? And understanding um, the importance of that hydrologic cycle and how water is the source of all life on Earth. Um, and that, I, you, when you build on that and people understand, oh my gosh, I, I got to preserve water because every living thing on Earth needs the, the sanctity and, and quality of fresh, good, clean water in order to live. And so that's what we hope to do is translate um, not only the fun of, you know, playing around in the water splash and looking at the beauty of, of the vistas, but, um, you know, sending people home with a message, message that they can chew on and it resonates with their life. 
And as a business owner, you have some programs to support your guides in that mm-hmm. knowledge and learning. Can you tell a little bit about that? Because I think this is just a yeah. really special thing as, a, as an owner of a business that you do. Oh, gosh, thanks. Yeah, um, y- yeah. I mean, maybe what you're referring to is, I mean, it's multi-pronged for Wanderlust, but when someone commits to us, um, you know, in terms of their time and gift and, and effort, um, uh, we begin the support of their giftedness by um, a pretty robust training program. So a guide who goes out on any one of our trips is going to have had over 100 hours of foundational training to begin with. And that's that's just kind of the nuts and bolts. Um, when you look at our guide staff, somebody pointed this out to me just the other day. It didn't really strike me. But, you know, our guide staff is from Maine and Pennsylvania and I mean, everywhere. I mean, they, they come from all over the U.S. because Bend is such a an amazing spot to live, quite frankly, that people are attracted to it. So we have guides from all over the place. So um, initially we'll give them um, over 100 hours of training. And then um, Wanderlust has invested in a library. So um, our staff can come and check out books from our company library anytime they want. Um, in addition to that, um, we have a book stipend that that our guides, you know, Wanderlust pays for their books. Um, so, you know, if they buy books that are related to natural and cultural history of this area, then Wanderlust pays for it. Um, stuff like that. That, <clears throat> I mean, it's enriching for the company, but it's enriching just from a personal sense of, yeah, there's so much to learn and it's just dang fun. So. Um, well, speaking of guides and, and edu- educating guides, say if somebody you know loves the outdoors and they're you know younger than we are, <laughs> and, they're, and they're thinking, hey, this this is something I want to try or something I want to do, and they wanted to become a guide, what would you recommend to someone if if, if that was uh, something they wanted to pursue? Specifically for wanderlust, or, or, or just, just in anyone. general? Generally, you. How about both? How about both? Yeah, I mean, um, maybe wanderlust tours has. Um, a little bit of a different bent on it. I, I, I don't know. I don't immerse myself too much in other business models, but um, um, I guess if I were to stumble through that question a little bit, um, Oregon State University has a branch campus here in Bend um, called OSU Cascades, and um, they have a tourism, recreation, and outdoor leadership program there that um, uh, some of the professors invite me to come and speak in their classes just by virtue of what Wanderlust Tours is. And um, so when I find myself in those classes, um, what I've been asked to do over the last decade or dozen years or so is to explain um, more from a tourism business perspective what it takes to run a company like this. So I find myself I've created a curriculum that goes from markets and marketing to pricing of tours to hiring and interviewing um, potential staff um, uh, to tour creation. I mean, it's it's really the whole gamut of what I've come to learn over the last 28 years of what it takes to run a company. And I have said more than once, um, kind of in, in answer to your question, um, what what should you do to become a guide? Um, I believe that a solid, well-rounded education is huge. Um, um, I'm, I'm more of a humanities kind of guy, but I absolutely love earth sciences. So those are certainly applicable. If you look at my degrees, I mean, German is my undergrad degree, and I did that specifically to lead 
tours in the United States in German, which is what I did for seven years. Um, so that was cool. But then graduate studies in theology. Um, and so when people come to us, I don't necessarily need one specific ology that accompanies their degree, um, but I want a well-rounded education. And so for the students at OSU Cascades, I'm saying, dude, you, you got to do um, business courses. Y you know, you can be a fantastic guide, but you need to understand how a company runs, what makes it tick, and how to be of value to that company in a broader sense than, than just knowing how to be a guide. Um, and to be sure, I mean, a number of our staff have graduated from OSU Cascades. They cut their teeth on us. They spent 10 years with us, and they've moved on into other business ventures. You know, they, and, and currently, our staff has developed over, over years where they started as a guide, and now they're operations manager. They started as a guide, and they're now sales manager. Um, and, and so um, I need somebody to have a well-rounded set of skills um, not just a myopic view of, hey man, I want to go out and paddle all day. I don't, I don't need or want that kind of attitude. I need an attitude that says I am passionate about the natural world, first and foremost. And then I need communication skills that can effectively communicate their passion. And then I need the ability to comprehend what they read and have a voracious appetite to read to garner more information in order to share that with our guests, to elevate the experience for our clients. Um, uh, yeah, I hope that answers. What oh, you're yeah, that was great. No, that was fantastic. I think that's interesting. Like, I, you know, I think I maybe expected a little bit more like, oh, yeah, you know, like, um, you know, they need to be first aid trained. They need to be something like that. I think that's a much better answer because it's a bit, I think people would probably just normally give you those couple of bullet points for what, you know, the basic minimum thing you want on a job application for a thing. I think that's a much better, more well-rounded answer. That was fantastic. Well, Thank and you. it's curious, too, that you that you point, you know, the first aid CPR thing out. I mean, of course, all of our guides are first aid and blah, blah. Some come with woofers. Awesome. What we do doesn't ever require a woofer. Most of the time it doesn't. So while those are nice little add-ons, I would admit that there's somewhat of a prevailing mindset or attitude of that, man, if I've got my first aid CPR or woofer, or I've been to Knowles or, you know, whatever, I'm a super qualified guide. And I would say, yeah, somewhere way down on the list, those things are important. But what's really important is what I just um, expressed. So, yeah. yeah. Being a well-rounded human yeah. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Totally. It sounds like also... Uh, they would need some business acumen. They need to understand the value that they are bringing to Wanderlust Tours at, through the through your guests. And yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, great compliments that I've heard over the years. This is not to toot our horn, but it 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 provides um, insight that maybe the way we do it is a is a good model. Certainly not the only model, but it's a good model. In that um, guide staff has said. Um, yeah, I've had previous, previous experience and, oh my gosh, it was just a shit show, um, at the other experience. And I don't want to run a shit show. I want to run something where when people get that first phone call, um, they make a phone call to our office and they hear somebody professional on the other end of the line, answering every one of their questions to the van that they step in into that's, you know, wonderfully clean. Um, it's new, um, you know, it's professional. And then they experience the knowledge of the guides and they're blown away. 
and their children are inspired to the point where they think that their guide is the Pied Piper and they're on the heels of the guide just soaking it all up. You know, that A to Z experience is what I demand for, from our company. And, um, and when you stop and think about it, we as Americans, you know, we might get two or three weeks of vacation a year. And when somebody invests their time and their money into the service and product that Wanderlust Tours provides, um, I would want it to be top notch. And so that's, that's the mindset that we go into it with. Yeah. I love that. So you mentioned that you've been teaching for dec- you know, over a decade yeah. and you've been in this business for decades. Yeah. Um, so have you ever dealt with a pandemic before? <laughs> <laughs> How many no. pandemics? <laughs> you know that clause that says force majeure and you're like in case of pandemic and you're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, so, you know, I mean, from a business standpoint, I'd be just super curious because I know that you guys have pivoted and, you know, you're sort of restricted local guidelines. You know, there's obviously things that you have to do just legally from state and city and local guidelines. Um, yeah. But just sort of how is this, you know, how have you the P word pivot. Everyone's using it now. How have you pivoted? But I mean, how have you adapted? I like that better. How have you adapted your business to still be able to provide services in this environment? Oh, it's a rich question. Um, Yeah. So, you know, Wanderlust is, um, we're old in the tooth at this point, I guess. But um, so we lived through the, you know, 9-11 tragedy uh, in our nation. And that was, um, that 9-11 was actually super interesting because um, people turned to Wanderlust Tours in a way that they turned away from larger metropolitan destinations. Um, I think people felt safer going outdoors. And so uh, post 9-11, Wanderlust Tours business saw, you know, a dramatic increase. but, you know, there was some nail-biting and gnashing of teeth as our nation suffered through that tragedy that brought unsurety to the moment. Um, then we lived through the, um, the housing bubble, um, and 2009, 10, and 11 were just uh, devastating years. Um, I, th- I thought that that was devastating. In retrospect, it was nothing compared to what this pandemic has brought on. Um, but anyway, you lived through that. And, um, and then comes, I mean, so many businesses, I mean, colleagues of mine have been taken out, you know, their businesses have been taken out by the pandemic. And, um, and so it's, um, it's probably the most impactful, you know, thing that has affected business, um, in our 28 years of operation. So how have we adapted? Um, yeah, you know, um, we had to close. Um, March 16th, uh, 2020 uh, was our last tour. And that was, you know, by state mandate that um, if you're a non-essential business, you close your doors. Um, and uh, our doors remain closed until um, May 16th when uh, phase one in Oregon opened up. And uh and of course, uh, you know, my mantra then was that we're going to have to learn how to crawl before we can run again. Um, and I mean, I have to say it played out just like that. You know, you got a call a week that said, hey, I'm willing to risk going out on a beautiful trip with you guys. 
So, you know, you had the dribs and drabs that started to float in and, you know, I was gracious for the resiliency of, of some of our clients giving us a call. And um, then on June 6th, um, uh, we brought, by the way, we brought our staff back on May 6th. Um, so the entire month of April, um, it was back to 1993 when I was the lone employee for our company. Um, and that lasted through May 6th. And and we saw a glimmer of hope coming that the governor said that soon we'd be in phase one and able to open up. And then on um, February, on uh, June 6th, phase two entered for the state of Oregon. And that was, that was more or less an invitation to kind of open the doors and resume business as usual, as best as you could possibly conceive that. Um, and uh, so it was still slow, but um, July and August uh, turned out to be fairly robust uh, for our company. Um, and that is to say robust in respect to families. Um, families felt comfortable tra traveling. Um, corporate clientele, um, which makes up about 50% of Wanderlust Tours business, uh, was completely absent. Um, corporations simply are not traveling. Um, most people are still working remotely, and um, so there's not much opportunity to entertain that. Uh, maybe in 2021, um, if a vaccine comes along, we'll be able to shift and see some more normalcy uh, coming back in that regard. How did we change? Um, um, the beauty of Wanderlust Tours, in the same fashion that after 9-11, people wanted to be outdoors instead of going to Las Vegas and being indoors, um, people said, I want to go paddle a lake. Um, I want to go into the calm, serenity, beauty of nature. So um, that sentiment still prevails. And in, uh, in May, I began to recognize, as did others, that there would be, my perception was that there would be a lot of pent-up energy of people saying, oh my goodness, depending on what state you live in, I've been locked indoors since mid-February, since mid-March, honey, we got to get the kids out of the house and go do something. And that sentiment absolutely proved to be true. Um, and it was glorious, the gratitude that I saw expressed on people's faces and the gratitude through verbalization of how amazing it was to be outside uh, was just heartwarming. Um, and when you stop and think about it, you know, if you're standing on top of, of a mountain, um, uh, feeling the um, nip of the morning air on, on your cheekbones and you're smelling stunning air scented with subalpine fur, um, you're in a good you're in a good spot i mean take the mask off enjoy the beauty of the natural world right um so um the greatest impact is the capacity at which we're able to operate um all of our tours are accompanied by transportation in our own vehicles um, we're no longer able to run at capacity we've had to have through transit guidelines through the state um, minimal number of people in the vans so um, you know, you check in and people are getting their temperature taken and ask a litany of questions. So it's everything that the state and CDC has uh, mandated. Um, we simply comply and we carry on business as best as possible. So, yeah, it works. Are there, are there any changes as a result of the pandemic that you see will continue, you know, like business changes or, you know, how you run your tours that might change your focus even beyond coronavirus you may have stumped me on that one um i don't see any positives in this i mean <laughs> yeah. all of us have seen silver linings um families being together you know probably 
tops my list of silver linings that I've witnessed. Um, however, from a business perspective, it's very difficult to find any silver lining in, in the pandemic. Um, I mean, I know what it takes to run our business. I know what our profit margins are. I know where that profit margin is reached. And I'll be very frank, you know, we're, we're paying our staff right now. We're paying rent. We're, we're making bills. Uh, we're not, you know, Wanderlust is solid. Um, are we making any money? Oh, my goodness, no. I mean, yeah, it's, this is a huge hit, and there's no other way to look at it. I, I'm, I don't think I can find any positive ways to so, pivot. But you mentioned, like, about, you know, pre-pandemic, about 50% of your business was corporate clients, for yep. as an example. You know, and we do see, like, if you go drive past, uh, you know, Devil's Lake, you know, cars parked on both sides of the road, you know, a lot of people wanting to get outside. Yep. So there's that pent-up interest that you mentioned. Yes. So maybe there's a, a shift to families or smaller groups like that i don't know it's yeah i mean if if an aware i mean i appreciate your um deeper look into it in that regard because to be sure if um you know if there is a positive um people have maybe found a renewed interest to be outdoors whereas in in the past we always take for granted what is normal for us and um yeah. And so, I mean, if the pandemic has driven people outdoors to experience the beauty of nature, wonderful. Um, for a couple of years, I've wanted to um, start camping trips for families, specifically camping for families. And I'd love every trip to be accompanied by little people. And the reason that I want that to happen, and we'll, we'll start that in spring of, of 2021, is with the increased use of the natural world, I find that there are so many people who are um, clueless how to act and react in the natural world. Um, and I'm seeking an opportunity through our company um, to uh, be a portal for people's understanding of how to behave in the natural world. Um, last... Uh, Last Sunday, a week ago today, um, uh, we had our annual lake cleanup. So among the things that Wanderlust does is, is a lake cleanup. So the Cascade Lakes, where you guys are hanging out, uh, we go up and, and we pick up trash, uh, plain and simple. And um, I can tell you guys that 30 years ago, you would not have found a piece of trash at Sparks Lake. Um, uh, last week, uh, we garnered the support of 65 volunteers. You know, we just put it out there to our mailing list. And um, 65 people joined in. And um, for good and for bad, we picked up just over 300 pounds of trash off wow. of the shore of our lakes. Oh, my God. Um, and that's like empty raptors, empty bottles. That's just like not even like heavy trash, right? I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's gross. Uh, um what we picked up uh, was, you know, some things that are benign, a, a Coke can type of thing, but some stuff that's just utterly gross. And, um, and, and that's what I, there's, there's an ignorance um, on behalf of a lot of people going out to the natural world um, that I can bring, oh, let's pick a fairly 
easy piece of trash, a blanket. And I'm going to lay on the shore of the lake on a blanket. And then, oh, my blanket maybe got a little bit wet. I'm going to leave it right there and not take it back. So you pick up this mud-soaked blanket and you throw that into your trash bag um, to just, you know, blatant disregard of defecating and, and leaving the toilet paper stacked on top of feces to hide the feces, right? And, I mean, it's just stupidity. And, um, and so, and unnecessary. Um, so what I hope to do, and if there's a positive about people getting outdoors, it needs to be accompanied with education. And I believe, and, and I don't castigate people for this, it bothers me tremendously that it happens, but any, any point of ignorance can be combated with education. And if I can inspire people through a positive means of camping and teaching people when they're young how to react and act in the forest, then that's got to be a part of our mission and and it's fun at the same time. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think probably most of us grew up with some level of outdoor activity and education growing up, yeah. maybe through scouting or through our family or whatever. And uh, now you have a lot of people coming out who maybe didn't have that. And the other options, you know, like I can't go to the mall, I can't go to the movie theater. Yeah. I'll go outdoors. Yeah. And so they might not have had that exposure. And there is a great opportunity for education. It's for so sure. true. And I'll harken back to the family that I took in the cave a couple nights ago. Um, we had jumped back in the van and we were heading back to town. And, uh, and one of the moms um, asked her I don't know, 10-year-old child next to her, hey, what, what was better today, um, playing on, on your phone or going in the cave? And the kid said, oh, man, the cave was amazing. Um, and the mom said, so glad to hear that. And, and so it is. I mean, you know, it's just a, that the pandemic has provided us with a shift of opportunity to go outdoors rather than staying indoors. And now we just need to know how to, for those people who are unaccustomed to being outdoors, we need to um, make sure that they're educated when they do so. So just some, maybe even a more simple basic question, like if a family or even just some individuals wanted to go on a guided trip, what would a guide services provide, you know, just in general, like make, make the pitch for, for going on a guided trip instead of say just driving, you know, to, to do something yourself. Yeah. Well, I'm always amazed um, uh, when, when, uh, we're, when I'm a guide leading a tour out there, um, we might be on a trail and people who are not a part of our tour, who um, are walking maybe on the trail, um, they'll stop and listen. Yeah. <laughs> and they'll say, hey, do you mind if I stop and listen? Yeah. <laughs> and um, no, please go yeah. for it. Yeah. Um, uh, but then go away. And the value, I mean... There's many levels of value, but for Wanderlust Tours, it is clearly the educative component of it. Um, helping people understand. Um, anyone can casually go cruise through the forest, but to understand the intricacies that Mother Nature possesses and understanding um, the interwoven nature of everything found in nature, it's astonishing, um, it's exciting, um, uh, it's intriguing. So... Um, first and foremost, that's the benefit of going on a guided trip. Yeah. And, you know, then there's other sweet factors of jump in our van. You don't have to drive. Um, you don't have a kayak? Wonderful. We've got the kayak. We, we've got the PFDs. All, all that, you know, nuts and bolts kind of hardware kind of stuff as well. But. Well, I, ha I have to expose. We have a, a guided trip that we've booked uh, next year, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully. Know. 
uh, uh, Mount Rainier. Oh, nice. So that's a great example from our perspective of like, this is a little more technical than what we've done, yeah. you know, but uh, it'll be nice to have that expertise that comes along that kind of knows glacial travel and going over crevasses and all of that and the training that goes with that. As totally. Well. So spot on. Really good reasons to use a guide service. Yeah. And, and it's yeah. the first time either of us have done it. Neither of us have ever been on guided trips before. Right. Or have you? Um... Uh, no, I don't believe I have. Yeah, yeah, I don't think I've ever done one. Yeah, I, I, I had kind gui- of. I love guided trips. I, <laughs> <laughs> well, I had a, I, I did a solo backpacking trip in Glacier a couple months ago, um, and there, you know, there's a, there was, and this, you know, they have the designated campsites. So every night I had people on guided tours, like staying on adjacent campsites, and you all share the same cooking area for bear management there, and it was kind of funny, you know, and, and it was interesting because. Some of the, a lot of the people had been using the same guides for 10 years, you know, or, or they were talking about that and had used the same service and it had the same guide for four or five years, you know, and, and uh, it was kind of a, an interesting thing. Cause you know, and I kind of look at the guides, I'm like, you know, I think I've been doing this longer than you've been alive, but you know, <laughs> it was still like, you know, you see them and they're like, you know, they're cooking dinner for everyone. Yeah. I'm like, I'm having to, you know, boil my own dinner. I'm like, oh, they're cooking dinner for them. You know what I mean? They yeah. don't have to cook their own food. They don't have to clean, do the dishes at the end of the thing. So I'm like, well, maybe it isn't such a, such a bad thing to tr- look into at some point. And, That's one thing we were looking at, um, looking forward to on this guided trip up Rainier were the breakfast burritos that are sort of legendary, you know, that they make. And because of COVID, they're not cooking any food for you. They'll boil water for you, but you bring your own food. It's like, oh, man. No, I mean, so (laughs) we've found ways around that in terms of following the state of Oregon's requirements for food handling during COVID. But, I mean... So kind of melding your guys' two perspectives and comments, um, one of the sweetest things that we get to do, I mean, there's so many, but um, I was just reflecting on a dinner canoe trip that we did um, a week ago. And, and that the, so all someone has to do is give us a call and say, hey, it's my wife's 50th, 50th birthday. What can you guys do that'll be totally sweet? And so as... Yeah, so we get to propose various trips and said, how about a dinner canoe? Tell me more. Well, so we'll grab you guys at your home that you're staying at. And, and it was the immediate family. It was like mom and dad. It was the 50th birthday couple. It was the children and, and I think a grandkid or something like that. And, um, and so we pick them up at their home. Uh, we bring them to the edge of a lake, a stunning beach that's forested down to the lake edge. Um, our caterer is there and preparing just a stunning meal for them, cooked outdoors. They get there, the table is set, we open up the bar, we provide locally crafted beers, locally crafted wine, uh, some appetizers, they sit down to an amazing meal. Um, we've timed it out so that our departure meets the end of the meal that meets the setting of the sun. Uh, the cascades are silhouetted in the background as we launch the boats uh, onto the water. And once we get done watching an amazing sunset, the stars begin to fill the heavens and illuminate in a way that people can't imagine. Starlight reflecting off the surface of the glassy waters and sharing a bit of natural and cultural history. And people are absolutely inspired. It's a highlight of life. I'm Um, sold. (laughs) My my wife has a milestone birthday coming up in January. So, uh, yeah, I might have to give you a call. There you go. (laughs) So 20, right, Jeff? 20? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if Joan listens she, to this or she's, not. She's 29. Yeah. So she's, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay. I don't know if Joan listens or not, but that was just me trying to get brownie points. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Joan, well, so. well done, Jason. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, well, I mean, I think there's so much to be said for the ad. There's so much 
added to the experience, right? When you don't, when you take some of the logistics out, because I think we all know personally, there's a ton of logistics and works that goes into planning any outdoor adventure, risk management, all those things. And going through a guided service, you know, it's, it's, those things are all still happening, but it's one less thing that you're worried about. So I think there's definitely something to be said for, you get to almost enjoy the experience sometimes more. And that's what I found. Like I've done trips where I've actually done it by myself and I've done the same trip guided. And the guided one feels, I hate to say it, a little bit more like a vacation because when your your brain gets to not completely shut off, but you know when I'm when I'm guiding a group of people, like my brain is constantly like everything that's going on. Like those eight people in my group are, like that's the concern, right? Every risk management possibility, what's going to happen, all these things. And when somebody else is guiding the group, I know their brain is working in that way, and my brain is looking at the trees and relaxing and just enjoying the experience a little it's bit like more. It's like the difference between being a tourist or a tour conductor. Yes. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Absolutely. I, you know, we were talking earlier. Um, you know, about the adjustments that have to be made. And I actually think in some ways, guiding like wilderness community, like risk management is something that we do every day. And so I do in a lot of ways feel like COVID is just another risk, right? right? And so in, in this new world, it's all about risk management, your levels of risk, what you're comfortable with and navigating it. So I actually think people who are already in that outdoor mindset, planning these kinds of trips, I think our brains are already a little bit wired in that way of just how to assess the risk and how to mitigate it, yeah, right? Yeah. There's always gonna be some risk in everything we do, but totally agree. we can lessen it, so. You're absolutely right. I also think too, corporate-wise, um, you know, are talking how that part of the business has gone away. I can't help but think, especially with all this remote working, I think there's gonna be even, you know, at some point, it's going to be even a greater demand because that's how you're going to you're going to bring your teams back together. Right. Because I think remote distant. working yeah. is going to stay beyond. I actually think remote working is going to stay beyond COVID in a lot of ways. So getting teams together, creating that bond, creating those experiences, you're going to have less time and it's going to be need to be more impactful. And what a better way to do it than through the outdoors. So, so the bright side is that you're not in commercial real estate. So we're trying right. to provide some silver linings. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And your corporate business is going <laughs> to boom. It, yeah, I, I frankly do anticipate that boom um, because when you speak with people um, who have now experienced this remote working and not, um, it's the absence of collaboration that people are missing the most. And I think American, the American business model is so successful compared in comparison to a worldwide wide view. Um, the nature of our collaborative efforts as Americans, um, I think, far exceeds that of, of many other places uh, in a very positive way. And that collaborative effort is missed sorely right now. Um, I hear that all the time from people who are traveling as a family. Hey, what are you doing? Well, working at home. And people express that I can't wait to be back amongst my colleagues. And part of that is going to be those off-site meetings that... Um, you know, are are so well designed to get the work done in the morning and then take an afternoon to go out into the natural world and play. And um, and people will be craving that. Well, it's it's that informal gathering where you get to know people much better on a deeper level yes. and then you build trust, you build rapport, and um, you're able to uh, build your team. Hands down, you're yes. together, yeah. And, you know, it's not just, I mean, when... When we're doing team building efforts, we, you know, we do some intentionality in terms of team building. We do debriefs with our corporate groups and that kind of thing. Um, it's, it's playing a game, but playing that game um, is for a purpose. You know, the initiatives that we've designed, it is, 
it mirrors and mimics the business world where you have to work together, you have to communicate with one another, and it's totally fun while you're doing it. But then when you bring people back together, they say, aha, yeah, I totally, I saw what you were doing there. Um, and so, yeah, you have fun, uh, you breathe the fresh pine air, and, um, and you're building business relations as you're having fun. That's great. Just to kind of a throwback to, to what you were talking about earlier and how you got started in business. Do you get um, any or much like international co- uh, clients coming coming to Bend from like Europe or from Asia? Not a ton. Yeah. Um, a little bit. Uh, it's so interesting to see people's travel behaviors. Um, uh, typically for Europeans or South Americans, um, uh, uh, Seattle would be a gateway. San Fran would be a gateway. Um, and then um, and then they'll, you know, travel into Oregon somehow. Typically, travel in Oregon would center around Portland initially, and uh, and I think that uh, the Oregon coast gets lots of visitors uh, from international locations. Bend, because it's three and a half hours away from Portland, we're that much farther away um, that people from international locales don't seem to make it this far. Um, it was, however, interesting uh, two weeks ago. Disney Plan, Disney Plus from France was here in Bend filming with Wanderlust Tours, and um, and they're going to do an hour-long segment on Oregon. And um, they, I said, so what are you guys doing here? And they said, well, we've got four states that we were assigned to um, do an expose on, and uh, they're the less visited states by uh, people from France. And I said, oh, what are the other states? And they said, well, New Mexico, Mississippi, Wyoming, and Oregon. Those were the four lesser-known states. Um, now, there's granted, there's wonderful things to see in those other three states, but, oh, my gosh, Oregon compared to those? Give me a break. Well, I don't know. Um, Yellowstone and the Tetons. Say. Wyoming, yeah. uh, Wyoming I'm, I'm going to give a, a tie with Oregon. Yeah. Those other, the other two, yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> a million acres of, of yeah. Wyoming, yeah. granted, I give it to you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, I'm just jesting, but no, um, no, no. there, you know, there is some recognition, um, and I think that those folks who were filming um, for Disney Plus were absolutely um, enamored with with what we were able to show them up there. So yeah, awesome! Yeah. I'm enamored every time I come here. I'm like, yeah. I want to live here. I think um, Eastern Oregon is just so I think unique in the sense of you have like it's the high desert, but you also have so much water. The volcanoes it's like it's just it's sort of like the best of all worlds in my mind but well i agree i mean you know we were talking earlier about how bend sits right on the western edge of the great basin desert and if you go east you hit the desert if you go west i mean in five minutes you're climbing up the east slope of the cascades and um you enter into completely different ecosystems going up that direction and and soon you're standing on land that was created by fire and sculpted by ice and thankfully some of that ice still remains that you can go play around on glaciers up there but um anyway yeah it's a it's a unique spot with um i mean mother nature did it right here so what's your favorite spot if i dare ask is that like asking your favorite child (laughs) yeah no i i never geolocate but um (laughs) if, if you um if you ask my favorite trip, I would answer okay. that. Okay, sure. what's sure. your favorite trip? To, to be sure, um, um, it's a very collab- <clears throat> excuse me, collaborative effort at Wanderlust. We all chip in. Um, ultimately, I think that every tour that we do was designed by me. Um, so I can choose my favorite and not feel bad about it. Um, and it would be Bonfire on the Snow. And um, so... 
bonfire on the snow is um, we leave in the evening, um, transport guests up up towards Mount Bachelor area, and um, strap on the snowshoes and um, uh, go wading through the fluffy white stuff. Um, our destination is um, our staff is hand carved amphitheaters in the snow, so we'll find a uh, so. The land, again, is all volcanic, so there's lava flows everywhere, which means that the land is very uneven. It undulates quite a bit. And on the hillsides, uh, we dig in, and we basically kind of look like a horseshoe in your mind's eye, where we build bench seats out of the snow. And um, as guests arrive on snowshoes uh, after cruising through stunning old-growth forest, um, the fire is crackling. Um, the orange glow is cast on the snow-burdened trees. Um, and, uh, and so uh, from 200 yards away, you catch a scent of pine smoke in the air from the fire. And we gather around the fire and um, we serve up local uh, sparrow desserts, um, magnificent bakery here. Um, so around the fire, we serve up desserts, hot cocoa, laced with a little bit of hazelnut espresso vodka produced by Ben Distillery here locally. And we just revel around the fire, gawking at constellations and shooting stars and, and uh, some of the most amazing experiences. I mean, um, what people don't know is that on a completely moonless night, uh, just by virtue of starlight, you can see your shadow on the surface of the snow. Um, and when you combine that with a full moon, holy buckets, the, the forest is illuminated in a fashion that is just so stunning. So it's inspiring people to do stuff like that. I mean, most people in the wintertime say, burr, it's too cold to go outside. It is not cold when you're snowshoeing. And when you facilitate an experience that allows people to... I mean, we are human mules. Uh, we move, I estimated that we move on average 10,000 pounds of snow to build an amphitheater, just one amphitheater out there. And we build multiple amphitheaters out there for our winter season. And, um, and you know, we haul all the firewood out. We haul all the desserts, all the drinks, blah, blah, blah. We're bringing out there. It's something that guests, folks, you know, there's typically in the winter sitting on the sofa uh, reading a book uh, rather than being outside in the forest where some nights, you know, it's 10 degrees and snow is hucking out of the sky and uh, people are a little bit intimidated, but you get out there and the smiles begin to beam on their face and you just say, dang me, this is good. So anyway, that's my favorite trip. That's cool. I, I think it's kind of because like most of my outdoor things is go here, or do this hike. That's like my planning. Okay. I love how much imagination and sort of, you know, planning and thought just goes into creating these experiences. It's like definitely I, I can kind of maybe appreciate more what you get with a really good guide service as opposed to just an adventure you know right. that's that's just fantastic yeah. i think yeah. experience is the right word yeah right so it takes it takes it takes it goes beyond the activity right so it, having a guide takes a hike or a paddle which is an activity and it turns it into an experience and i think Absolutely. that's like a really good yeah good point yeah no that's, that's fantastic and it, i don't know the other word that that has struck me in in um well, over the years, is authenticity. And um, canoeing was the very first thing that Wanderlust Tours ever did in 1993. And the reason that I chose canoeing was because if you stop and think about North America and some of the indigenous peoples of North America, the, the way that they traveled, because they were hunters and gatherers, almost all bands of native peoples in North America were hunters and gatherers society. Um, they had to walk wherever they went, and they followed the food source. But then, as the human mind 
use the ingenuity that we possess, um, uh, the very first means of travel in North America, other than your own two feet, was in a canoe. And that's what I want to recreate for our guests. It's, it's Americana dating back thousands of years in terms of how we transported ourselves around the face of the globe. So I want to imitate that, and that's, that's why we do canoeing and kayak trips. Um, when we're down in the caves, I need our clients to understand how caves were utilized by Native Americans as shelter and some of the dang amazing cool stuff that we have found in terms of remnants of cultures thousands of years prior to today's present date. Um, when archaeologists go into the caves that surround this area and we're finding stuff that we're radiocarbon dating uh, back to 9,000, 14,000, 15,000 years, we're beginning to understand through, through science, archaeology, and intense effort uh, what a prehistoric society, how they lived, what they ate, um, how they captured their food, um, the movements during the seasons. Um, the coolest thing, I don't know if you guys know this, but... Um, so Dennis Jenkins, uh, current professor at U of O um, of anthropology, archaeology, um, was out digging in Harney County, just a little bit east of where we are here right now. And um, they found, um, this a couple years ago, uh, they were digging through ash. And this was Mount St. Helens ash, not from 1980, but Mount St. Helens ash from a long, long time ago. And they found a stunning agate. It's an orange agate about the size of your palm. And that agate had been flint-napped. Do, do you guys know the yeah, process yeah, sure. of flint? Like, yep, sure, like, there yeah, you go, yeah. sharpening, yep. Um, using antler typically. And anyway, so this agate, it's silica-based material, right, had been flint-napped um, to a super sharp edge. It was a knife um, that Native Americans had assembled. And um, when you talk putting the puzzle pieces of prehistoric societies together, this is just fantastic. Uh, one, what's a guess of what was on the edge of that knife, that agate rock? I would, I would guess hair. some kind of meat or some kind of like, yeah, like, yeah. Hair, yeah. Yeah. Hair it, it, well, sort yeah. of like meat. It was yeah. blood. Blood, yeah. The residue yeah. on the edge of the yeah. knife was blood. And here's the deal, you guys. Not only can you radiocarbon date blood, but you can get the DNA, DNA sequence sure. from that. And I'm like dying. We know. know that the last Giant thing, sloth. I'm going to guess. Giant prehistoric oh, sloth. Dang. I'm going to guess. Oh, adroit. It, yeah. It was not, however, a sloth. Okay. It was that of an American bison. Yeah. Um, and, um, and then once we knew that, then we radiocarbon dated it 15,800 years. Wow. You guys, it's, it is now the single oldest thing that we found in what today we've delineated as the state of Oregon. Yeah. And it's putting these sweet puzzle pieces together to help understand that. Anyway, so um, the caves where um, so much artifact has been found was shelter, was home to so many indigenous peoples. And when we bring people into a cave, it's almost imperative that we convey that message as guides um, to the people who endeavor to choose our, our service so that they can understand the value that the caves provide outside of a recreational perspective, but that that in some cases was home to, to people for thousands of years. So anyway, I'm not sure how we got off on that. I'd like to give a shout out to Courtney, who's one of your guides and your sales manager, right? Yes. Yeah, she's amazing. Um, Thanks. And she's, I've now done a couple, well, I went on a hike with her last time I was in Bend. Uh -huh. um, and so I got to experience her hiking for Sam, but she also did the um, hikes for our, our groups, um, yeah. for our escapes, and she's amazing. Courtney so, is um, yeah. one of those humans who has invested herself into Wanderlust and um, 
uh, I mean, she's not only an outstanding guide, but I mean, just quality of human is yeah. beyond compare. Agreed. Yeah. And, and I mean, all people are good. Um, all people are wonderful. Um, I happen to be able to spend a lot of time with our staff. And so I know the quality of, of each of the individuals. So yeah, it's, they're amazing. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. So why don't you uh, tell, how can we find you? Uh, social media, website, how can people book a tour? Oh, yeah. Where, how can people find you? Yeah, I mean, gosh, how do how do people find Wanderlust Tours? I mean, wanderlusttours.com would be uh, the probably the easiest way. Cool. Um, I think Wanderlust is a little bit more common word in English now. Of course, it's a German word, and, and um, having studied German is my... Uh, uh, Grad, undergraduate degree um, I was I was studying in in Vienna at the university and I took um, a German literature class it was 1600 to 20th century uh, uh, literature and um, so I read a lot of Hermann Hesse and one of the books that Hesse wrote was Narciss and Goldman which is um, it's a story of, of uh, Goldman is kind of the older mentor of the 16 year old Narciss and of course it's where the word narcissismus or narcissism comes from so you've got this 16 year old dude you know wanting to experience life carousing around the southern reaches of germany and in the alps and then spilling into austria where salzburg is and all the exploits and adventures that narciss had you know as a as a, a teenage kid and so as a young adult um, i said that's what my life is like, man. I've, I'm not narcissistic, but my life is wanting to carouse around and experience different yeah. cultures and go around the globe. And, and uh, that's what Wanderlust Tours means. Uh, Goldman described Narciss as having Wanderlust or Wanderlust. And um, that was my life and is still my life. It's Courtney's life. It's yeah. all of our guides' lives um, is to experience uh, the world, the, the natural world, uh, its cultures, its people. And... Um, and so anyway, when you go to wanderlusttours.com, it's like you have lust to wander, that kind of wander. Um, yeah, I mean, you can go to, I don't know, Facebook and Instagram and all of the social media outlets. You'll find us. But yeah, go to the website. It'll give you the best idea. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cool. yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You're great. It's like everything you say is like a story. It's like storytelling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you yeah. really wet to... my appetite yeah. for yeah. checking out some of these guided experiences. So the, the three of us were talking recently, and we asked, well, what's the thing, one of the things you miss most in these times of COVID? And um, Jeff said bars. <laughs> like, yeah, we all we all miss bars. <laughs> oh, come on. So, <laughs> so we've decided, unfortunately, we misunderstood. And, and so what we're doing is a taste test of uh, a whole bunch of different uh, energy bars. Um, that's exactly what I was talking. That's about, exactly Jason. what he was talking about. Oh, yeah, okay. So you miss you miss energy bars. I not, miss energy bars. Not like the like place where sad people go to drown their sorrows. That's right. Yeah. And um, and, okay. and drink whiskey mules. And whiskey mules. <laughs> we we are also drinking the whiskey mule, which we liked from our whiskey mule thing, which uh, the cutwater the cutwater spirits. spirits whiskey mule. So it's very good. Um, we have quite a few bars, so. We've decided to break it down into two sections. We have a chocolate, which is the one we're doing now. And then uh, the next one we'll do is a blueberry-themed bar thing. Correct. And just with the chocolate and nut bars, we have how many different kinds, Severia? Seven? Seven. Seven to choose from. All right. Wow. Yep. Well, let's dig in. So this this first one is the uh, 
the Cliff Nut Butter Bar. I'll, I'll take a bite. I, it's good. It's got that Cliff Bar consistency, which you either side of love or hate mm-hmm. by this point in your life as, a, as an outdoors person. But I like the flavor. It's got peanut butter in it as well, so it's kind of like a Reese's Pieces or Reese's yeah. peanut butter cup kind of vibe. I was just gonna say the, the actual peanut butter in it makes it a little bit more creamy and yeah. yummy than a normal Cliff Bar. Yeah, it's not quite as, as thick and heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. That, that's good, Jeff. Mmm. Yeah. Yeah, I like it. I've had this before though. Okay. I uh, I do like this. It's very chocolatey. It's softer than the typical mm-hmm. bar, you know. Yeah. So it's got a nice sort of, I don't know, almost like a candy bar type yeah. feel. I worry about the chocolate on a warm, sunny day in my pack. Mm-hmm. But um, getting warm and gooey. It might get warm and gooey, but it's really good. Okay, so next up is Kate's Real Food, and this is kind of like a Rice Krispie treat-looking one. I guess would be the best way I, I would describe it. And this is her tram bar. Mm. We have four-legged friends who are trying to join in the tasting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like it. Um, it does have that look kind of like a Rice Krispie bar, but yeah. it's a little more dense. Yeah, a little more dense. It's like a dense Rice Krispie. I like it. The flavor was good. I'm not sure if the tram bar was her first bar, um, but I know Kate was a outdoor enthusiast, and so she started making these bars as something to have long days out on the slopes, having snacks. Oh, nope. And, a, and, a, and one of the hazards of doing these outside is we now are surrounded by... By birds, there's a blue jay. Yep. <laughs> there's a blue jay up there. I don't know. Do we know what these are? These guys here, they look like some sort of a uh, uh, corvid. Also, I don't know, but Maybe. they're uh, the, yeah. birds. The, the birds. The birds are coming. The birds are coming. And we have three dogs here, which you think would do something to scare no. the birds off, but no, they're not. They're no. just just sitting. Dogs there. don't care. All right. Yeah, Final- no, I'm a fan of Kate's, and I think um, yeah. her bars are also usually. I think they're all gluten free and stuff oh, yeah. like that. So they're a good alternative for people of. I, 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 I got tasty. a heavy, mm-hmm. yeah, it was, it was I tasty. It. I got a good, it's kind of like a, I got a, a strong like oat, mm-hmm. like oat taste. Did you guys as well? Seed taste. Yeah. You know, like yeah. sesame and that sort of thing. Is but still enough yeah. chocolate that yeah, yeah. it's not too healthy tasting. All right. So now we are going with a kind bar. Um, it's a light kind bar. It's, it's a, it's a different type, which, what kind of, what is it? Is the dark chocolate chunk chewy kind bar. A little drier. Yeah. I'm almost getting like a little cinnamony kind of flavor in it mm-hmm. more so than chocolate aren't you do you guys i feel like that was had more of a cinnamon taste than I, I got the cinnamon it is drier yeah. that was my first impression yeah it's not um, as sweet so it's nice maybe if, if you're not looking for something super sweet yeah it's it's nice yeah it's okay it's nice but here's the thing about uh, okay i gotta i gotta share a thing that i've got <laughs> with yeah. bars and that is they're great for the first half yeah, and the second half is always a little bit of an effort. Yeah, you know, it's yeah. like I'm a little tired of this bar already. Yeah. <laughs> it's like fight through the pain to get it yeah. done. Yeah, and I think that's what I'd be doing yeah. with this. Okay, the next one is the uh, Pro Bar Meal Bar. And I think is this just the chocolate chip cookie one, Severia? So it's the peanut butter chocolate chip. Mm. We cut them up into little pieces and put them on top of the wrapper, so we have to eat the pieces before mm-hmm. we know exactly which ones they are. Mm-hmm. This is tasty. Mm-hmm. Mm. I mean, you know, it's got the chocolate chips right in it i mean you see the chocolate mm-hmm. chips so you know you're getting that and the sesame and some other you know seeds and nuts it's very dense mm-hmm. one thing we'll need to do um in the show notes is we'll add calorie to like weight and size ratio yeah mm-hmm. because that's always another because i feel like pro bars i really like them because if you're trying to pack in calories in a small package like pro, mm-hmm. bars, pro bars are great for that yeah very dense they're mm-hmm. usually around three three hundred to four hundred calories mm-hmm. 
Um, I've used them a lot over the years. I use them in my Arctic trips, especially where you're not where we're on we're canoeing, so you don't necessarily have to carry the, all the weight because they are yep. a little heavier than some of these others. But they're great because they're very filling. Yeah, yeah, and they're high calorie, so it's a nice, easy, simple way to do it. Um, and they're tasty. This one's tasty. That's a I good mean, one. Yeah, tastes like a chocolate chip cookie. I mean, you know, not as like a, a really good fresh out of the oven chocolate chip cookie, but you know, it's a good. It's good. I right. like that one. Right. All right. The next one is this uh, Brothers. Is it Brothers? Uh, Almond awesome. buttered chocolate. It's an awesome almond, almond butter chocolate. chocolate. And I hadn't, oh. this was a new brand I hadn't seen. So mm-hmm. I grabbed all these from REI mm-hmm. from the snack aisle. I think most of them. There's actually, mm-hmm. I think the Kind Bar, and we have one more coming up that I didn't get at REI, but these were all, yeah, in the REI snack aisle. That's tasty. Mm-hmm. Much more moist mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. some of the others. Mm-hmm. Kind of fruity. Well, yeah. I, so this one fig? reminds me of the RX bars. Yes. Yeah. Because, you know, a lot of, like dates mm-hmm. and all, you know, very simple ingredients. But I think I might like it a little better than the RX bar. Yeah. It's got like a fig thing going. Are yeah. you guys tasting fig in there? Yep. Maybe there's figs in there. I don't know. This is my only criticism of it. I'm not getting a lot of chocolate. Yeah. I don't really taste chocolate in it, you know, like I do with some of the other bars. And you and you need that chocolate. Well, if I'm getting it, if I want a bar, if I get a bar that says chocolate, chocolate. on it, yeah. you want to... Hey, I, whoa. Oh, we had another bird, uh, bird invasion there. <laughs> Sorry. Um, Bird attack. Yeah, if I get a bar that says chocolate on it, I guess I just want it to taste. I want there to be some chocolate in it, and I'm right. getting like no chocolate in this. I think it tastes very good. Don't get me wrong. I would eat this. Yeah, I would bring this on a trip too, based on its size and weight. So, so kudos in all that way. Yeah, but not not uh, just not chocolatey enough for me to like kind of call it something else. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. All right, and this is the uh, Jorge. I guess I don't know. Jorge. Thank you. I don't know. Peanut butter uh, chocolate bar. It looks good. It's kind of like a pro bar a little bit in mm-hmm. consistency. Oh, super dense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's kind of a, uh, you know, hard to chew. Mm-hmm. Almost. Hmm. There's another flavor in there, too, that I'm trying to figure out. Yeah. It's good. It's kind of like the meal bar, but I kind of like the meal bar a little better. That would be my 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 take. It's a little mm-hmm. denser, a hair denser even than the meal bar, which was really our densest one up until this point, I think. I don't know. It's I not think, bad. It's a little, it's a little dry. A little dry. But little... I also feel like it's gonna like hold up in your backpack. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's not yeah. gonna crumble into a million little pieces. I'm I, okay. So I can't quite identify the flavor, the distinct flavors inside of it, but it triggers a memory for me of the Tiger's Milk bars. Do you oh, remember yeah, those? Oh yeah. yeah. Like the carob yeah. covering. Yep. Oh yeah. It it triggers that a little bit of that memory. And so that's all I can say. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. All right. Last bar. This one is the Cascadian Farm oh, yeah. thing, uh, chocolate chip. Okay. Um, this is also like chewy granola bar, rice crispy treat looking one. Yeah, and this is chewy. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's good. I like it. And the Kind Bar and the Cascadian Farm are, you know, easy to find in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. So this is, this tastes to me a little bit more like a traditional chewy granola bar that you'd yes. find yes, at like the, the grocery Quaker store. chewy totally. granola bars. Yeah, yeah, that's kind of what it reminded me of. But they're, they're organic. They're really good, though. <laughs> and they're organic. Really tasty. <laughs> yeah. I've, um, bought bar, I've bought the, I don't know if it was this flavor, but I've had these. I know I've bought these yeah. in the past and liked them from the grocery store. Yeah. So, yeah. Which is nice because yeah. that's probably more accessible than Yeah. All right, places. guys. It's time, time, to, time to pick. What is your favorite? Oh, oh gosh. Um... For me, I'd, it would be really I'd be hard pressed to pick any one of them as a favorite. I think they're all really good. Um, what was the second one? The Kate's. The Kate's. Kate's, Kate's yeah. real that was, food. I yeah. really liked that. I also liked the um, 
the cliff nut butter bar, whatever that was, mm-hmm. that was really tasty. And uh, Jose, the Bearded Brothers bar, oh. yeah, I liked as well. So I don't know. Those are the, those are kind of the top three for me. Mm-hmm. I would say the nut butter had the most interest, like it was the most different as far as like texture and like creaminess and stuff yeah. like that. So I think I would definitely throw one of those in my bag. Um, I'm always a fan of the Kate's bars, um, and so when I can find when I can find them, I'm always <laughs> I always go for those. Um, and then after that, I the new one that the beard is it Bearded Brothers? Yeah, yeah, the Bearded Brothers. That was a nice surprise. I really like that one. Yeah, I'm all gonna, pretty good. Yeah, um, I, I will say though, like going back to what we were talking about, the larger bar size. Um, I know that some of these, like Kind, for example, makes a mini bar. Yep. That is all that I actually prefer those because if I eat a whole kind bar, they're great, but I get tired of it. You yeah. Know, it's like a lot to chew, a lot to eat. And I get it's a little much, but the mini ones are just like just enough. I can I can bring those on a hike and I have several of them. Yep. And um, but only eat a little bit at a time. Yep. So I like that. I think I'm going to go with the, the, the pro meal bar. I'm going to be the only one that's going to pick that. And I like these, so I guess I was kind of predisposed to like them again. Um, I didn't really dislike any of them. I just, uh, yeah, I think the, the one that I, of these that I would, the two of these that I would, that I, that I have bought and will actually buy again would be the last one, the, the Cascade Farms. Yep. Um, I kind of like just buying them in the grocery store sometimes, you know? Yep. I actually like even oh, like sure. just your straight Nature Valley. Regu- I don't even get the flavored ones. I just get the regular oat and honey. Yep. So maybe I'm basic on that. And then I do like these meal bars, particularly on um, maybe not as much on hiking trips, but on like, you know, cold camping trips or like if you're on a river trip or something and you want something, you know, it's dense and substantial and high in calories. I think they're great for that. And I actually do like the taste of those as well. Mm. I had one for lunch. So <laughs> oh, there you go. not one of those. I had a different flavor. But, now, uh, it was good. One, of the, one of the things we do need to do, and this will be in the show notes, is we need to look at, the as Severia said, the the calorie to weight ratio and, and, you know, all of that so that we see sort of that nutrition and the, the uh, nutrient density of the bars, because some of them are nice, like nice snacks. Yeah. And some of them are actually meal replacements. Correct. Yeah. It makes so a big difference. Yeah. Some yes. of those are, you know, you're working at your office, have it, grab one for a little snack or in the car on a trip. Other ones are, okay, I'm backpacking. I need to fit as many calories as possible with as little space as possible into my bear canister, or I'm just going for a day hike. And I just want something like yummy and snackety. Yeah. So. Or I'm through hiking the Pacific Crest Trail in 2022. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm not bringing a stove because I'm looking at, you know, how I can reduce my weight. And, you know, <laughs> what am I going to get, what am I going to eat and not get sick of? And, and it's going to give me the calories that I need. Yeah. I don't know if it's on the table. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it is. Yeah, no. No, I think, um, I think like one thing like, for like a meal, those meal bars are legitimately like a meal, just based on how many calories they are and the size and the weight. And that's nice sometimes and, and kind of easy. But like I think of like some of like say our harder days of hiking, Jeff. Like say think think of day three of our recent Ruby Crest Day Trail. Would I have wanted to eat that? Like halfway through, I wouldn't. You know, the meal bar, it's too heavy. But like those Cascade Farms ones, that's kind of nice because they're kind of light. Or some of these other ones that are a little lighter and like the chewy granola bar frame, like like Kate, the Kate's one. Um, the kind one, I didn't like as much as I like the Kate's one. But they're good for that. They're good for like, hey, I'm going to stop and I want to eat a snack. I think that I think they're good for that. Right. Yeah, I need a little solid. sugar, a little carbs, just a little pick me up. A little quick boost, yep. some yeah, fuel. Man. Yeah. So that's great. Okay. Yeah. Well, this is fun. This was fun. This was a good test. Um, we're going to have a part two. We'll be doing uh, blueberry. Ooh. <laughs> 
Well, that's going to do it for us. Please make sure to subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on social media on Instagram at almost there underscore AP or the almost there adventure podcast on Facebook. You can find Severia at adventure us women. That's adventure us women, Jeff at the SoCal hiker or me at the Muir project. Our title track almost there is performed by Opus Orange and is provided courtesy of Emoto. Special thanks to the Looney Bean and their lovely staff in Bend, Oregon for hosting us in their beautiful patio and keeping us and our guests deliciously caffeinated. On our next episode, we talk to mountain bike instructors and guides Meredith Brent and Allie Helpin of Ladies All Ride and Grit Clinics and part two of our bar showdown. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.